welcome to Calling Game, brought to you by Mediate. I'm Kelsey Trainer here with my co-host, Amma Jagnarine. Hello, everybody. And today we are joined by former DePaul University basketball player, current sports reporter for the Yes Network, and full-time game analyst for the Brooklyn Net, Sarah Kustak. Thanks, Sarah, for joining us via Zoom. Yes. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. This is great. <laughs> I wish it wasn't via Zoom, but um, I'm glad we at least got to do it. So... Obviously, the sports world is on stop, and that is your job. So first of all, just how are you doing? How are you holding up? Um, I, I'm, I'm doing great, and I feel like this is such a tough – I know we all ask each other and have been talking about this quite a bit, that everyone you talk to, whether it's family, friends, colleagues – um, about how everyone's doing, which is such an important question. But I just think it's, um, it's one of those circumstances where this is, we're all in this together. We're all facing this pandemic, but it's impacting everyone in such different ways. And, you know, when you say the sports world and everything has stopped, which certainly is disappointing um, that, that we don't get an opportunity to do what we love and, and for so many, but I think just, I continue to be, um, and sometimes my friends or family will roll their eye, but I'm just so grateful. Like I'm healthy. Um, I'm, I'm able to stay home, stay inside. Um, those, my loved ones and family and friends are healthy at this point. And you just, you, you understand, um, some of the immense, immense challenges that so many are facing and those on the front lines, um, that are doing such tremendous work to help keep us safe and happy. So that's a long way of saying um, <laughs> I continue to be, despite staying inside and all of us, you know, finding finding ways to to use our time in, in such that we didn't always have to. Um, I, I definitely am just grateful to be healthy and been doing well. Yeah, yeah. And so Kelsey and I have talked about this a lot that like, you know, it, it does suck to be inside all the time and not be able to hang out with your friends and resume normal activity. But, um, you know, this is something that Kelsey said to me many times, like, grateful that I'm healthy and that, you know, we still have our jobs and, you know, that everything is, is relatively normal for us on that front. And, you know, our families are healthy. So always a super important question. And also like, on the sports end, I, I feel like, and this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but I've seen how creative um, people have gotten. Like I saw there was this Joe, Joe Buck doing commentary on, on marbles racing. And one of my, one of our coworkers sent this to us. It was crazy. Um, So it has been really entertaining to see like the different ways that people and companies adapt. Yeah, and I also feel like the days are blending together a little bit, right? Yeah. A little bit or a lot of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Last week or a couple, and I'm like, it's it's not in a bad, but it is like Groundhog Day. Right. I do it. I'm like, wow, like it all kind of in ways. Um, it's, it's hard to believe that some things we've been doing now for so long in this. And then in other ways, I'm like, gosh, that feels like just a couple days ago, but, um, but you're right about the creativity and just people. I mean, it's, it's one of those situations where we're getting a chance to appreciate the things, um, even more so I think that we are able to just do and not even think twice about, um, but also find, find ways to, to keep our time and to keep our attention and, and to keep others as well. So let me bring back your, this memory of a long, long time ago, uh, Wednesday, March 11th, uh, <laughs> um, the NBA announces. Uh, uh, last, so, last year? Yes, last year. Just uh, about. 
Yeah, just about last year, the NBA announces that a player on the Utah Jazz tested positive um, for COVID and suspends the season. Now, I was, I'm looking at it right now. I was across the street at Harry's in the financial district enjoying a drink, right? I don't think anybody at the time fully understood what was happening. And I just remember kind of the panic. I was like, if this is happening in the NBA, right? They can do whatever they want. Um, What is just the rest of the world looking like, but kind of tell us about that day and that night and for you and kind of what it's been like since. Um, This, I, I can go in the long version or the short version. I'll try and keep it somewhere in the middle. The days leading up um, to March 11th, we were on, so we were on a West coast trip and had played the Lakers on Tuesday at Staples center. And so the few days prior to that, the weekend, that Monday and then Tuesday at Staples Center and heading to the game. And I'll remember it was that Tuesday, I think, I ran into um, Christina Pink, who works for Fox, uh, does a great job with the NFL, also um, is the course I reporter for the Clippers, uh, ran into her and we were talking and she was like, I'm, I'm hearing this and this may change and try. And there was just so much speculation about where this was going to go. Um, and so the game at Staples Center against the Lakers and the Nets, we were all, they had changed some of the regulations with the media in the past few days about making sure that players and individuals, coaches um, were six feet from the media. They took them in different, a, a lot of precautions were taking place already. And, you know, us being told to make sure you're not shaking hands or touching each other and uh, so fast forward Wednesday morning, I, um, with Fox sports was on Colin Coward's show in LA before we were set to leave with the team to San Francisco to play golden state. And they had just announced that, um, the Brooklyn Nets game and golden state warriors game at the chase center, because San Francisco was a hot spot at that point would be played without fans and attendance. And so it just, you know, the interesting thing looking back, so that Wednesday morning out on the West Coast when I'm on the show and talking to Kyle, we, we were digging deep into, oh my goodness, what is this game going to be like? The, the first, you know, NBA game thus far, and we expected others to follow, but to be played entirely without fans. And so there was discussion about that with the players. Um, you know, we get on the plane with the team to fly to San Francisco, talking with our producer and director and, you know, some of those in production. And so the talk already was, okay, how do we can move the cameras? We can be really creative, how we shoot the game, where are you guys going to be positioned? Um, so, so it was kind of looking at the next steps of how COVID-19 may affect things moving forward land in San Francisco and you know we get on the bus to go to the hotel and I see a tweet from someone saying that all the teams for the Oklahoma City and um and Utah Jazz the the players have left the floor and went back to locker rooms right before tip-off we pull it up on league pass we're watching on our phones on the bus on the way to the hotel and it was a circumstance that all of a sudden we see the officials grab their stuff leave the game so we're kind of watching this as we get to the hotel all our hotel rooms we're trying to figure out and we were told to stay inside the hotel don't leave the premises um and and so I'm in doing you know doing some work I turn on the game um that Ryan Rico and Doris Burke were um were calling on ESPN and it ended up being the last game I'm forgetting I believe it was Dallas and someone but the last game um, that was, that was played. And so I'm doing some prep. I'm like, have got my shower going in the bathroom, steaming my dresses for, <laughs> it's, it's all this stuff that you think about 
And then all of a sudden they say that Rudy Gobert had tested positive. Um, they were suspending the NBA season. And it was just like a, as you can imagine, phone blowing up. Everyone's trying to figure out. And it was, it was one of those surreal moments um, where I think we knew uh, the severity of everything. We knew that how the season would be played out, how life is, we knew it would alter and adjust a little bit. But I think just the concept of that the NBA season was being suspended um, hits you in a certain way uh, that it really made you take notice. And from there, we, you know, everyone kind of started making plans. We um, eventually found out that our, our flight, our charter would leave the next morning and they kept us in the hotel and, um, you know, allowed us kind of to eat from there. But, um, but yeah, from there you go home and then, you know, you're told to self-quarantine as it had come out. Some of the Brooklyn Nets players had tested positive. Um, and therefore we were told to self-isolate them for the next two weeks, which I did. So I ended up staying in New York, you know, and there was thoughts of, for a lot of individuals, do you go back to a different home? Do you stay where you're at? What are you going to do? And so anyway, I just ended up, you know, I stayed in New York, stayed in my place, stayed inside, um, had a lot of groceries delivered and, and just kind of hung in. And as you know, the, just, um, the, the different dominoes that have fallen since then. Um, but yeah, but it's amazing to think, to your point, it's amazing to think just how long ago that seems and how much has transpired in, in what we understand and how we understand um, you know, this pandemic to really be affecting everyone around the globe. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about, like, like you mentioned, you know, I think at that point, you know, when the NBA really suspended everything, we all kind of understood the severity. Um, and, you know, in the in the following days, weeks, uh, we kind of saw that that was really the right call because you saw more and more players um, testing positive. But, you know, we get to this point where we're kind of at least here in New York, um, I've I've heard of, I've heard a bunch of different things, but. I did hear the other day that we are maybe approaching the plateau. So, um, you know, we get to thinking about like, where, do, where do we go from here? Like where, where do you think the NBA goes from here? Do they, do they play the rest of their season um, without fans in the stands? Because I, I heard when this first started, um, LeBron made a comment or tweeted something. He was like, I'm not playing without fans in the stand. Like I play for them. I'm not, not doing that, but you know, if, if that is a reality that has to happen, like what, what, what do they do? What do the players do? What does the media do? What do the fans do? What do you think? Um, where do you think it's, the NBA goes? I, I think it's fascinating to think about. And I, I do think just in everything you hear, whether it's um, the professional league commissioners being on calls with, with Trump or whether it's just, you know, we've had so many opportunities to hear from some of the healthcare professionals that have talked about the fact that there's no, we're not setting the timeline. The virus is setting the timeline. So how you go about that. And I think there's just been so many different ideas proposed um, where you can tell everyone is constantly thinking Adam Silver does such a great job just of being open-minded and forward thinking about ways in which, um, and it has always been this way, but ways in which to, to go about the best, um, best for the league, best for the players, best for the community, the fans, everyone involved. Um, but it, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, you hear everything from trying to think, I mean, I can't imagine if the season does return, not having a circumstance where you, you would ha- I can't imagine fans um, initially if the league came back um, being in, in attendance, just because the large masses, large groups, um, what we know so far of the virus, 
But then you think about that. I know a, a lot have discussed this, just the, the testing, like the idea that you would need so much testing and so much um, testing involved with the players. And, and we all know this, or I think about this, just, it's not just the players, it's, it's the coaching staff, it's the medical staff, how many people go into what takes place when a game is being played. Um, and with that said, is that the best use of testing or the best use of medical professionals um, for a professional league? And, you know, there's, there's so much push pull with that. And then just the concept of these, these athletes have been off for such a long period of time. How much time do you need to ramp up and get ready um, when you think about injury or care that, they'll be ready to play in actual games. And, and there's so much talk about the postseason and would you alter it a little bit and, you know, rather than best of seven series, do best of five or best of three or how that impacts um, what you do or how you play. And, and to be honest, I think, you know, everything is on the table at this point. I mean, they've even talked about having one isolated place. I know Las right. Vegas is yeah. the product, um, but there's just, you know, it's one of those trickle down effects of, everything that goes into it and how that resets the NBA calendar. And um, so I don't, I think we're all curious. And I think that these ideas come up or these proposals are kind of just speculation pending um, change on a daily basis. And everyone's kind of trying to keep tabs on it. Um, But what we thought I think a week ago has changed into now. And I can only imagine what it will be moving forward. I know it was last said that at this point, you know, the next time that they can even reevaluate the situation, the circumstance, um, you know, wouldn't be until at least the end of the month and, and going through May. So I think it's um, it's going to be interesting to watch and just how the other professional leagues kind of all filter into this and decisions that are made. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, I think that everyone is, is fully aware that the, you know, we have to get right. We have to get people healthy. We have to make sure that everything is safe. Um, you know, that being said, we we're sports people, right? We talk about sports, like that's just kind of sports is a microcosm of society. And that's just kind of the lens that we see it through. So, you know, given, given a scenario where we, we figure this out, we are, we're making a lot of, uh, you know, positive steps forward in kind of com- combating the virus and, and all these new sciences and whatever's happening. Um, you know, at some point sports, I, you know, will come back and, on this podcast, we obviously love to talk about women's sports, you know, because obviously 4% of sports media, the coverage is on women's sports. So um, we always try to bring it into the, through that lens. And so, you know, you've seen with the WNBA, with their new collective bargaining agreement, right? You've seen the momentum and then you've seen the women's world cup, the equal pay lawsuit. Um, And I've talked to some sports executives for these, uh, for these leagues and for some of these teams. And there's this real concern of like, what does this mean, right? Because we're, women's sports were on such an upward trend. We had this, we're on this wave, we're riding this wave and we're at the top. And now it just feels like, you know, it, it's going to crash a little bit. Um, and so, you know, being a, a, a former, you know, collegiate basketball player and um, what, what's your take on it? I mean, what do you think the impact is and, and, you know, how going forward do we as people in the media or news go forward to kind of, keep that momentum going? Um, I think it's twofold. And first looking at the actual, specifically looking at the WNBA, I mean, I think you factor into, um, and I don't know the numbers and all this, but the postponement of the Olympics, I feel like there's so much traction 
for women athletes, for women's sports, whether it's team sports, individual sports, um, but for females that often comes from the Olympics because the attention. Um, so I think the fact that it was postponed rather than canceled, hopefully is something that can be a positive too. Um, and this is something that the NBA is facing still um, players waiting their next, um, you know, their next paycheck coming. I think it's April 14th or 15th. Um, I should, whether they will get paid and just how that all works in terms of the collecting collective bargaining agreement. I think for the WNBA players at this point, correct me if I'm wrong, they're still uncertain pending on the season. And if they don't start the season or don't have it, will they get paid? Right. And they've got the, uh, the NBA draft is virtual is going to be virtual April 17th. I mean, that's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so all of the attention that comes with that. So I think just for the players themselves, the league financially, um, and the team, you feel for them just because if there is something that holds that or impedes that because of not playing or because of not getting to play, I think that's one factor in a very real thing to your point about the CBA and the strides that were taken with that um, in terms of profit share and everything. Um, I, I think that is a real concern in terms of just fan momentum and um, popularity and exposure maybe I'm being hopeful about this or just the glass half full, but I feel like that build is, is continuing to build just as much. I think so much, especially now of how people are digesting in, in learning about whether it's players, teams, whatever it may be. A lot of it comes digitally and a lot of it comes through social media and so many of these channels, um, of just how players are getting recognized, teams are getting recognized and so maybe it's, it, of course, won't be to the same level because we won't have the opportunity to see these extraordinarily talented players out on the floor doing what they love most, um, getting an opportunity to see the games. However, I, I, I do feel like, I, you know, it, and maybe it's a product of a lot of the people I follow or the things that I look at, but um, just a lot of the shine of these WNBA players, to your point about being creative and what they're doing and um, the recognition and just the camaraderie that comes between so many NBA players and um, the love that they have for the game and for these WNBA players, the respect they have. Um, it's a small example, but LeBron James, you know, on his social media talking about watching, uh, you know, Christy Tolliver when she right. was playing in Maryland. And just, um, I think a lot of that, the, the enthusiasm for um, how the W has continued to grow I believe will continue. And I don't think, um, I think everything is at a bit of a pause now when it comes to the sports world. Um, but when it returns as it will, and I know we all want it to happen soon, but when it does, um, I do believe that will still continue, um, continue to grow because I think too, the beauty of what we're seeing with so many of these extraordinarily talented players is that we're seeing their personalities and we're getting to know them on the floor, off the floor. People are starting to understand, you know, that they are becoming stars within their own rights um, for who they are. And I think because of that, um, because of that recognition, I, I do, I, I would like to think that this is just a pause and how um, we're getting an opportunity to view and see the game and see these athletes. But I, I do think that that will continue to grow. And I think the exposure and, and everything that everyone does to try and build that will, will keep, keep going. Yeah. And you're about to, Amba and I can, can speak to this. We've uh, a friend of ours, uh, shout out to Carrie Ann 
has uh, sent us to some some Nets games at, for, with, at the Forty Forty Club. So we've had a nice time there. Um, and spend more time. There are places within Barclays that are Brooklyn that I'm normally working. So I feel people talk about the Forty Forty Club, and I was like, I think I've like been there once or twice to speak on a panel. Right. I don't think I've ever. Well, listen, you know, like, <laughs> I'm glad you've had some fun there. Right. Let me tell you. An hour before, an hour before the game, or an hour and a half before it opens, it's free food and drink the entire time. You can take your drinks with you. Needless to say, we've had a lot of fun at Barclays. And kind of speaking off of what you were talking about, um, and the players and the personality, you know, rumor on the street is that you know Sabrina Nescu is about to be, you know, she's going to be the number one draft pick, uh, presumably, and going to the New York Liberty, who you know, as of the latest. Uh, you know, are now at Barclays. So, you know, you might, you're sharing uh, an arena with uh, with uh, the number one college basketball player I, and probably yeah. one of the most exciting people in a, such a long time, at least from such a national perspective. So kind of and that thoughts. But just, and that's a small example. And I know I'm talking way too long on these no, topics, no, no. but the owner of the Brooklyn Nets um, and it is Joe Sy and his mm-hmm. wife, Sy. Um, who also own the New York Liberty and, and their passion for the WNBA and for the Liberty and how to grow them and bring them Barclays it, to me is, is at an equal level of what they want of the Brooklyn Nets. And I think we've seen that throughout the course of the league, whether it's many of these owners, whether it's the front offices, the coach, they, they have a passion um, for these individuals and for these athletes. And to the point about Sabrina, I mean, I think that's, just an example of um, the the mutual respect that exists and why so many, I mean, she's a, a, a walking triple double. Right. Um, <laughs> and the things that she has done throughout the course of her career um, have been eye popping. Um, but just the relationship that she had um, with bless his soul, with Kobe Bryant and how he, and, and so much of what he did, um, to really grow and nurture the women's game and Steph Curry, what he's doing and how he is, you know, going to, to different games and going to Sabrina's games, you know, towards the end of her career. And, and so I, I, that, that's the type of um, relationships and, again, the respect level that I think people recognize and basketball fans recognize. Um, and, and so that's why I think there should be so much optimism uh, for how, you know, the exposure uh, for women's sports will continue to grow. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I, and I think New York is really going to be the epicenter of it. Like, yeah. as long as, you know, things go as planned and we get Sabrina, I think I think New York will be, like, the place for women's sports, especially the WNBA. You know, people are going to be flocking those games. I know Kelsey and I are already talking about buying season tickets. Yeah. It's, and like you said, Amba. So I feel, I, if I'm being brutally honest, I feel a little torn. Um, I had spent the past few seasons calling Connecticut Sun games. Uh, the New York Liberty, of course, owned by, by Joe and Clara Sy. Um, and I'm here in New York and they play in Barclays. So I, I've got a deep love for the, the New York Liberty, but my heart has been with the Connecticut Sun. <laughs> um, and it's that I've watched That's them. I'm a little all over the board. So I'm in, I'm going to have like multiple jerseys, multiple t-shirts. Um, but I can't, I can't 
put down my Connecticut Sun fandom. No, you can't. I mean, they're, and yeah, especially they given their last fans. year's playoff, you know, the last year's playoff and how well they did and that, that, that series basically to end it. I mean, it was insane that, and you know, yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm with Amba. And oh, yeah, but we, yeah, but yeah. I agree. But, but that's the beauty of, um, you know, just how much recognition I think there is been across the league and how much more um, they deserve and hopefully we'll get. Yeah. Now I kind of want to transition just a little bit here. And, you know, speaking of women in sports, obviously it doesn't just have to do with players. Um, so you yourself are, you know, you're on TV all the time, right? You're a broadcaster and uh, you know, you're commenting on these games. Um, one, I think we're seeing more and more of that, but I'd love to get your take on it and kind of like how you got into this. I mean, I briefly came across you, a friend was doing a charity event and you were there and I was like, Oh my God, this girl's a, baller right you know I had just moved from Philly so you know I was a I grew up a Celtics fan so uh, you know I hadn't been to too many Nets games and um you know since then you know we're we're, friends in Boston I've got friends in Boston who who still wear Celtics gear to the Nets games uh at TD Garden um no I I will just briefly say um my story is a long one um grew up uh, playing sports, all sports, sports was everything, uh, played basketball at Paul University. I was all over the board in what I wanted to do. I loved math since the time I was a kid. I always thought I'd get into business, finance, accounting, um, got to college, switched into communications, um, minored in juvenile justice. I, I, for a long time, thought I was going to be a social worker. Uh, then I got my master's in corporate multicultural communication. I really love to like research and the idea of speaking and all sorts of things. But TV was never on the radar until I was finishing up grad school. And I started where I, through our, my athletic director, DePaul, um, Jeannie Lenny Ponsetto had introduced me to an individual at ESPN. He's like, oh, you're in the Midwest. And um, my brother had played football, um, was a quarterback at Northwestern. It's like, you love sports, love to be around. I think it'd be a good idea. You should come out and be like a, a production runner for a game. There's a game, a Wisconsin-Michigan football game. Um, see what you think. See if you like it. And long story short, it, I, it was the first time I was ever really in a production truck and understood the way it a television production and broadcast was put together and it blew me away, fell in love with it, um, was always searching as we are for our careers, things we're passionate about and between sports and just the adrenaline rush that I felt like was um, not the same as when you're an athlete, but the idea when you're live, you're live, the light goes on, fail, you know, succeed, whatever happens, um, just all of that. um, Absolutely love. So Bounced around with a couple different things. I was assistant coach for a little while at DePaul, but got into TV. Um, it was a winding path, um, but eventually landed me here in New York and you know, with the Brooklyn Nets and was fortunate enough um, to be um, to be named the color analyst, um, our lead analyst, I think it was three seasons ago now. Uh, and to that point, it was a role in a position that I did never really imagined um, was possible, which seems silly to even say, but I, I was calling WNBA games and I was calling college basketball games. Kind of the roots of where I started was as an analyst. And then I transitioned more into different t- TV roles as a reporter and anchor 
whatnot. Um, but my heart was, oh, my favorite thing to do was always being an analyst, calling games. And because of a scheduling quirk with um, some of our other analysts, no one was available and they kind of knew my knowledge, knew my acumen. And um, so they had me, and this was probably five seasons ago, do a Philadelphia 76ers Brooklyn Nets game with Ian Eagle. Um, yeah. And, and to be honest, it's funny to me how when that was happening, when that happened, and I was doing at that point just this one game, um, we put out a press release, like I did an interview on NBA TV about it. It was, you know, it was such a novelty that a female, right. uh, obviously Doris Burke and Ann Myers-Drysdale, um, the, the goats, the goats of um, <laughs> never been in these roles in so many, um, but just the idea of what a rarity it was to have a female in that position and then kind of same thing. And then fast forward, um, you know, to now, and I love the idea. And I so know so many of my colleagues and maybe it's not on a regular basis, but it's, it's not out of the ordinary to, Oh, so-and-so is going to call this game, this individual. So many females are getting this opportunity in the NBA. And I also think it trickles down to, and we've seen it started with Becky Hammond, who, you know, again, a extraordinary individual the, <laughs> the goes on and on um and just how hard she worked but the attention um deservedly so that was on her as a female getting that assistant position and now I believe there's 10 maybe 11 assistant coaches mm-hmm. in the NBA the amount of females in the front office um on the sports performance team training so you and and now you you don't even not to say you don't think about it because you celebrate it and right. you appreciate it. Um, but I love the fact that it's it's not as much a so. What's it like to be a girl right. doing your job? <laughs> right? Uh, you know, and just um, there are so many just competent, smart, strong, um, just fierce, great women who are making an impact, and it has nothing to do with them being female. It yeah. has everything to do with. Um, making an organization or making a franchise or making a network or just making them better and being the best individuals um, for that job. So there's still so much room um, to, to grow on. And there's so, so much more um, to, to build on that and so many more steps to take. But I think it's just, it's tremendous seeing so much of that. And I think more than anything, um, just seeing the normalcy now that it's become, whether it's for players, um, whether it's for young adults, young kids, people, now that's, that's become more the norm. And I love the fact that young, not even just young girls, uh, cause that's always been so important to me, but young boys don't think like, Oh, wait a second. This is uh, like, this is how it is. Yeah. And, um, that I, that I absolutely love. Um, and I hope that there's so much more to come. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kelsey and I have talked about this before, the importance of having, you know, people like women in sports and women in, in high leadership roles is so outstanding. Um, you know, I, I know Kelsey, you know, for you, I think you said you had the swoops back, back in the day. Oh yeah. The, the, the trash bag, like looking swoops that were super shiny, yeah so it's like like, AAU yeah yeah for sure so it's like it's like you know you grow up and you know for me I I played softball growing up so you know my first bat was a Jess Mendoza bat um you know it's it's just it's like stuff like that like you know you you want to be 
you want to have that for not only, like you said, not only young girls, but also young boys growing up as well. But I also, I just, I wanted to ask, um, who was your, you know, Jess Mendoza growing up and looking towards your career, even, even towards the later stages? Cause I know you said you didn't really figure it out fully until, um, you were around about grad school. I would say when it, when it comes to I, my list of those that I idolized as basketball players or as athletes, um, it's, it's so long and it, it goes <laughs> forever. Um, and this may be an answer that many give, but Robin Roberts um, to me was just, she was everything. And obviously her decorated basketball career and when she started ESPN, but then the concept of transitioning um, you know, into with Good Morning America, but news in general, um, and just not being a just a sports person, but the way in which she resonated uh, on the screen. And I think, you know, for, for so many people who talk about, you know, the ways in which to get better or aspiring broadcasters or advice you give or whatever it may be. Um, I just always remember watching her I felt like she was so authentic and so genuine and so sincerely herself. Um, and you can't fake that. You can't fake that on the air. And, you, it, and I think that's what to me and just how smart she was, how prepared she was, um, but also how human she was, uh, the, you know, her grace and empathy and um, just everything always came across the screen. And so I think, you know, she was the one person when I started and, and you start watching others. And of course, you know, I, I mentioned Doris and right. um, Annie and, and if they were not so great, we would never be in the roles we have. And I always um, think about that and thank them every time I see them. Um, and there's so many others. And I even did, like Michelle Tafoy, you think about, um, think about what Hannah Storm did and Susie Colbert and, uh, again, the list goes on and on, but Robin was the one to me that I just, um, yeah, I just, I just loved and I respected, um, and, and still obviously to this day. Right. And you know, that's awesome. I love to hear that. And I just think there is this camaraderie of, of women in the sports or news in general, um, of kind of, you know, helping each other out. I literally interviewed Don Staley like once, but we're both from Philly. So we had that immediate love for each other and you know we text all the time and then she I couldn't be with my mom who celebrated 40 years cancer free so Dawn sent like a video uh, for my mom like the things I could put like Jay Billis sent something to me like just there's just people in the this world and you know you even have Adam Silver and all that he's doing with the NBA I think it's a total reflection um of these these policies and I I think the NBA is leading it to be quite honest in, in the sports world with, I, you couldn't have said it better without a doubt. I never forget, um, and, and there's so many of it, but when um, I got my position as the analyst, like Adam Silver was one of the first people to text me and tell me congratulations. That's awesome. And, That's you know, so awesome. How was and that you deserve this. And I think just the way in which he's approached every, I talked about his open-mindedness, but um, the reason that the NBA is so progressive is because of him. That's yeah. why the players, um, his ability to listen to that. And it's not saying that he always does everything that everyone wants or agrees with or, um, but that type of open-mindedness. And I think too, I will say that, you know, Adam is the leader of it and at the forefront of it, and it it goes down. And I think about, um, you know, Rick Carlisle and the conversations I've had for him with him in the first year I was doing this and how much of an advocate 
Um, he has always been a big part of getting women in the front office, females on coaching staffs, whatever it may be. And I remember he was when I he first said he said I was gone for our game, and then I started listening to you, and I was listening to your past couple of games. And he's like, I have some tips, blah, blah, blah. Um, but just the the kindness and the generosity of people. Um, who understand that you truly want to be better or how much you care about what you're doing and want to be there to help. And I think I would include the players with that, the respect level they have um, for whoever is in that position. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I, I think that's a really, a really special thing. And I think for as many times as, as people have talked about um, females helping lift up other females, and we all do that because there's a, enough here for everyone right. we all need each other to help. Um, I also think a big part too, is that just the respect level from the, the male component and right. how they, it's all, it's, um, you know, it takes everyone. It takes yeah. everyone. I think um, that's a great thing to say. Well, I don't know that um, you could have said it any better or, you know, anything else. You're, this was fantastic to have you on. Um, and we really appreciate your time. Um, and first first day that this is over, first day, you know, we defeat coronavirus. What are you doing? Where are you going? I'm going to see, and hopefully I'll be able to do it a little sooner since if I miss my, so I told you, I was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do and then you get settled in and then you can't really travel um, here in New York. Um, but my brother and sister-in-law and nieces and nephews, five nieces and nephews are in Chicago. Um, and we send videos and obviously see them all the time. And I always think like, should I just rent a car and drive out there? But um, they are the, the, the best people on the, the, just playing with them and doing things and they're shooting hoops in the backyard. Right. Um, so that's it. That's, I cannot wait um, to go see and, and hang with all of them. Well, we wish that for you as soon as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully soon. You know, we'll see. We'll see how long. Otherwise though, um, as we mentioned, staying in and staying safe is priority number one. Yeah, for sure. Well, well awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much, Sarah.